Father, thank you for the gift that we're going to be celebrating today, that we're going to be focusing on. Um, may we continue to grasp the depth of how wonderful a gift you have actually given us in your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So today we're going to have some th- fun. Um, yeah, ready? Yeah, cool. So today we're going to have some fun. It's, um, it's Christmas, not literally today. Today's our Christmas service at City Hill, um, which, is, which is really, really awesome. It's awesome because it means we're not going to be doing church the next two Sundays. So everyone's going to be chilling, partying, having the greatest time. Then we'll come back and share stories of how that went. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of a strange thing. So Christmas, if you just look at the story on its own, would probably be like a kind of a weird thing if you look at the nativity story. Uh, and it is a pretty weird story, I'm not going to lie. Um, last week we looked at John the Baptist and how he kind of came about. A bit of bow wow, bow bow bow. And we looked at um, then Mary, but how her story was not going to involve any bow bow wow, bow bow bow. Which is a pretty strange story, if we're honest. Because we all know you need the bow bow for the, for the children thing. So Mary's story is always going to be a bit of a unique one. But the reason in the grander context and scheme why this story actually matters we're sharing today is we have to look ahead to later on in the year and we'll get to Easter, which is the ultimate reason why the story of nativity, of God becoming flesh, being among us as a baby actually has its, its real value that we can all kind of cling on to. But actually, we can't just look ahead to what's coming in the year and the calendar and the whole um, tradition. We have to look back to the beginning of the Christian tradition and we have to look back at what Christians talk about as like creation. We have to look back at creation, but we also have to look at a time that um, Christians talk about theologically and they call it the fall. Um, It's not Humpty Dumpty, although the king's horses and men could not put this one back together. um, So there are similarities. But when we look back at the fall, what we see is... We see an an emphasis that the whole story starts here with creation and with things going wrong. But thank you so much, Eden. I've always wanted a crisp while I preach on a Sunday. Do you want another one? Yeah? Cool. So we always look at the the tradition kind of starting there, but actually it starts with everything being good. God makes everything, he looks at it, and he says it's good. But then there comes this moment where what he says is good is kind of no longer seen as good, and it talks about this thing called death. Now, death for you and I is like a normal thing. We know about being born, we know about taxes, and we know about death. And we see those three things as being like the certain things in life. Like, it's not certain that you're going to find love and happiness, but it is certain you're going to be born if you're going to pay taxes and you're going to die. And those are the three things. Now, for Adam and Eve, from the tradition we read in the Hebrew scriptures and the Hebrew Bible, that wasn't how they lived. They were kind of created... There was no birth process. They were these kind of beings. Well, Eve was made from Adam, it says. And they lived. And all of a sudden, death became a new concept for them. Death for you and I is a concept we embrace very early on because it's made apparent to us that there is an end of the road that is impending for us all. And, um, oh, you want to sit on me, don't you? Yeah, I can just tell. She's just, like, standing there like, what are you doing, Daddy? Like, this isn't, this isn't what we do. You, I always sit on your lap when I feel like it. Why the hell are you making me wait? And so death becomes this thing that for them is a whole new concept that kind of enters into this world. And so straight away in Genesis 3, when this concept of whole, the whole death thing is, is announced, it's kind of said there's these few repercussions. 
this whole situation's gone horribly wrong, and this is how, what things are gonna look like from now on. Like, laboring the land's gonna be hard work. Childbirth is gonna be painful. Women, you know this. Um, if you've been there, if you haven't, you will find out. Um, it's painful. And then um, he turns to, 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 to the woman, to the man, and also to the serpent. And it talks about the serpent, and it says, the serpent will bite his heel, but he will crush his skull. And what happens in the Hebrew tradition is this one verse is kind of like held onto as this beacon of hope that one day the snake that has bitten our foot, that has led us to this place through deception and lies, that has entered us into this new thing called death, one day we will find life again. And one day the serpent's lies will come to an end. Its skull will be crushed. And so when we look at the Christian tradition, it comes through this. And so Isaiah 7 is is a crazy chapter that's all about the, the nativity story. It's a crazy chapter because Bear Mandem have got their crews together and they're all about to rush Israel and kill them all. And Israel, it says their, their legs shook like trees in the wind in the forest shake, which is literally where the street term came from. Man got shook in it. So like the, the, the trees were breezing and their legs were breezing and they were shaking. And it's literally from Isaiah 7 that we get this street urban term, man got shook. So they were really afraid. And in the midst of being afraid, um, this prophecy comes out. And it says, and they're standing there ready to, ready to bang. And they're like, yeah, we need a word from the prophet that's going to get us gassed so that we think we can do this thing. And so they're all waiting on the word of the prophet, which they always would. And this guy stands up. He's about to give this prophecy, this battle cry. And they're like, yeah, it rags its on kind of thing. And he stands up and he says, behold, the virgin shall be with child. <laughs> At this point, they're probably like, rah, this isn't the kind of speech I want when I'm about to bang, you know. Like, my whole life and family and my well-being is depending on this. And... Like the Independence Day speech, you know, when the aliens are invading and the president's standing there and he gives it. We're all in this together one more time. High school musical kind of thing. Like, yeah, we can do this. And he's like, behold, a virgin will be with child. And she will. And it's like, oh, my gosh, a virgin really giving birth. Thanks. Wish you hadn't spoken. Felt I could have done better on my own. And so this happens. But one of the things that's key in that chapter is it says the virgin will be with child and, and his name will be Emmanuel. God with us. So those guys are about to bang and it's like, God with us, great, we'll just take that bit. Yeah, thanks, thanks, let's do this thing. And so then they kind of go and they survive, even though they're hugely outnumbered. God does a miracle and he's for them. And so Isaiah kind of continues prophesying throughout the whole of his book and he keeps on touching on these messianic tone. Um, and so Isaiah continues these kind of messianic tones all the way through. And um, the first thing we get is from Isaiah 7 where we realise, um, we realise that um, it's a boy, Alicia. It's a boy. That's what we realized. So the first part of the nativity is we realize it's a boy. That's the first point that I've horrendously Eden, whatever you do, do not touch the phone. Like, like this is like how I record. Thank you, Eden. I've always wanted to know more about our church. Um, <laughs> kind, of, kind of came up with those. Um, I'm not gonna lie. All right. Do you want to tell? Go tell mummy more about our church. Take the leaflet. No, no. Take the leaflet. Take it to mummy. No. You don't want to tell mummy more about our church. Fantastic. Brilliant. So, it's a boy. Is the first thing that comes out because the snake will bite his heel, and his heel will crush its skull. 
And so it's a boy that they're looking out for. Isaiah 7 lets us know that God is going to be with us. This is a whole new concept. So the idea was there was this separation. They were cast out of the garden. They were living in a place that wasn't their home. They were living with a new world view where death reigned that they'd never encountered before. This whole thing was new to them. And then the idea is that actually God is going to be with us. Um, But how can God be with us when God is alive, God is life, but yet we are dead in our sins and our trespasses? So how is this whole thing going to work out? So then Isaiah goes on to have a few more um, bars. He's got bars for days, really. So we're going to look at Isaiah chapter um, 60, but you can look at 60, 61, 62. Uh, You can look at loads of his stuff. He's just all about, there's so much about the Messiah in in his prophecies, in his bars, in everything he says. Jingle, jingle, Leke's killing it. Um, No, it's cool, man. So it's a boy, God is with us. Um, And then in chapter 60 of Isaiah, Arise and shine. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on their hip. When they see and berate you, when you see and be radiant, your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. Young camels of Midian, of Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall gather to you. The rams of Naboth shall minister to you. They shall come up with um, acceptance on my, on my altar. And I will beautify my beautiful house. I will beautify my beautiful house. Chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, and a day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them beautiful headdresses instead of ashes, an oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks, foreigners shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. And you shall be called the priest of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of nations, and in their glory you shall boast, instead of your shame. So this time this is being given, they're going through pretty, pretty much a, a bunch of hardship. And Isaiah is speaking life into the situation, but actually he's speaking so much more. So it's a boy that's coming. He speaks about that. In, in Isaiah um, 7, in Isaiah 60, he's talking about something that really connects and reverberates with the Christmas uh, narrative. What he's talking about is he's talking about the present of God's presence. He's talking about the present of God's presence. So all these things are rewards that come about from the presence of God being among us. So in John, he starts his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word became flesh and blood and dwelt among us in verse 14. And what we see in the nativity story 
is we see the story of Jesus' birth. We see him being born as a king, as a high priest. Um, and we see him coming in, in the lowliest of, of manners. Not one to, to, to set alight the world. Not this big kind of show and display. But God uses so many different people in different ways to highlight it. So in Isaiah, what he says, he says, Arise and shine for your light has come. So what we have is we have these wise men from afar who've been studying a star for approximately two years. For two years, they've been studying it, weighing it up, following it, and they're led to this place. And it talks about, lift up your eyes all around and see. They gather together. They come to you. They come from afar. And it says that um, a multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah and those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. So these guys have been watching this star for like two years. And so when they come, they come and bring these gifts. Now you and I, we look at these gifts and what we kind of tend to think is, we tend to think of like these three guys because there's three gifts. And we tend to think of like, oh, here you go. Here's a little bit of gold. And then here's like um, some frankincense and here's some myrrh. But actually... And the way the Bible talks about it, it says they, they showed him that their treasures, their, their gifts. It's, it's not like this small, it's not a small thing. Um, so this guy is, is being born in this kind of like place among the animals. It's, it's not a great setting. And yet these caravans of camels roll up with these really important, profound people who've been following this star, studying it for two years. They arrive at this destination and they start busting out huge quantities of gifts that they're going to lay at the feet of this king that they found. And they bring tons of gold with them, they bring frankincense with them, and they bring myrrh with them. And each of these three gifts is what I want to focus on today, because Christmas is a time when we give each other gifts, and each of these gifts speaks volumes about who Jesus is. So often when people talk about the gold that's given, they talk about the kingship. That he's of David's line, that he's a new king and his throne and his, his reign will carry on forever and ever and ever. And that's totally true. But actually there's, there's three precious metals that get used constantly on the artifacts in the, in the covenant with Moses. And actually gold is what goes in the holiest of holies. So like the altar, the, the lampstand, all those things in the holiest place, they're all made of gold. On the outer, you then have silver and then you have bronze at the initial stage. So first of all, when they come and they give these gifts of gold, it's not just talking about Jesus' kingship. It's talking about him being the high priest. It's talking about him going in, being our intercession before God. The first gift Jesus gets that these guys give and they bring and they lay down is saying this guy is going to go in and he's going to be the one who's going to make intercession for you. He's going to make intercession for me according to the system they've grown up believing. He's going to, they, they, then they bring out the frankincense. And when they give the frankincense, what they're saying is the high priest would go in and the other priests and the priestly duties upon the altar is they would go, just like the story we read a few weeks ago where those guys were doing that strange fire thing. And they would light this incense and they would shake the incense and it'd be frankincense. And that was often used in a temple. And so when they give this second gift, they're once again, not just relating firstly the kingship, but to this priestly nature of who Jesus is, that he's going to go before the people. The, 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 the incense was often seen as like the mediation of the prayer going up, the fragrant aroma and also the, the smoke ascending upwards to God, that our prayers would be heard by him, that they would be accepted by him, they'd be received by him. So the idea is that Jesus goes in, he's the high priest that offers the mediation for the people's sins, but also with this fragrance that it's through him we'll be heard. Through him we'll be heard. 
through him we'd have a voice and an access to God that we'd never had before. That literally, Emmanuel, God would be with us. And it talks about him being the word and the word becoming flesh and blood. He would not only be the word of God to us, but he would be our word to God. That his blood would speak a better word. That his blood would speak on your behalf. That his very nature and his existence would be the intercession that allows you to be heard. That allows you to become more than you are. So in this second gift, they're saying he goes into the holiest place through the gold. And he's going to be a priest that offers up the incense. He's going to be the means that we're going to be heard. That God is going to hear our cry and our pain. And then they give over the myrrh. Now, myrrh and frankincense were also used together within the temple. So it's another, once again, to do with being priestly. But also, it's what was used throughout large parts of the known world for like embalming and things like that. And so giving this kind of, this kind of gift kind of signifies his death. Um, but actually, you know what? Um, we look at this story and these gifts that are given, and I just want to say they're not in any way unique. They're not in any way unique. So we often look at this as a like kind of a standalone story, but actually this isn't a standalone story because in two, 243 BC, the god Apollo was offered these same gifts at the temple in Miletus. So often this is what they would not just offer. So these things speak of different values of Jesus within his tradition and his heritage. But what we see from outside is this is what was offered to deity. So not only in this, in this narrative, it's said that foreigners will come in Isaiah 60. Foreigners will come and they come with their tradition and their style of worship and their understanding of how things should be done. And they come and go, well, this is God. And then we see like um, later in the New Testament with other writers taking the symbols of an unknown statue saying, oh, I know who the unknown statue is. It's Jesus. And these guys are coming and they're coming to him with the same style of gifts, not that they're just given to a king, but that are given to deity. So when these guys come and they bring these gifts, they're not just talking about a new king has risen up. They talk about that. Um, but you hear Herod's response in the story. Um, he, he sends them to Bethlehem because he realizes this isn't an ordinary king. This is to do with messianic tradition. This is to do with one who would come. This is one whose kingdom would reign forever and ever and ever. This is one who isn't just of the, 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 the temporal things of this world. This tr transcends that. And when these guys come from nowhere, from some next places, traveling all that way, he he starts to get a, a size of the magnitude of how huge this is. Um, they studied it for two years. And in all three of these things, we have a gift. And the gift that I want us to focus on today and I want us to focus on over Christmas is literally these three things. That Jesus is Lord, that he's king, but actually that he's God, but actually that he lives in intercession for us, that actually he's the means that you and I are heard. He's the means that we can come with boldness to the throne of God's grace. Um, we talked about a few weeks ago with the offering that was made and those guys that got murked for offering some dodgy thing and they weren't in the right place at the wrong time. There was a strange fire and they were called a strange people. But actually the Bible says we're a peculiar people that now the strangers are allowed to come straight to him. That through Jesus, through his incense, through what his, his sacrifice, it, it is heard. It is a fragrant aroma to God. And that you and I, because Jesus, because God became flesh and blood, because he was with us, because this new thing happened, we're no longer God was there, separate from our suffering, separate from the human condition, separate and away from us. Hebrews was able to, the word in Hebrews says that, that he, he, he's not distant from your pain and understanding. He's been there. He, he knows what it is. And the idea of the crucifixion, the idea of Jesus' atonement on the cross, isn't that he paid the price for some sins. It says, he who knew no sin became sin itself. 
that actually the reason he understands what you go through is because it, what the, the Christian tradition says is that upon the cross, he took all sin throughout all time, throughout all space and time in that moment. And so he, the reason he knows what you're going through is because the punishment of what you've gone through, what you've done and what others have done to you, the victims and those who are the aggressor, all of it was placed upon him and he died taking that sin upon him that you and I could have newness of life free from that and that actually he did it because he was coming to crush the skull of the one who had bruised our heel. The one that had brought death and poison into our, into our blood flow, into our stream and into our life. He came that that would be conquered, that that would be changed, that he would bring a new kingdom and that his kingdom wouldn't be an earthly kingdom, that it would be about the kingdom of heaven that would live on past our pain, our suffering, our greed and the human condition. So today when we look at Christmas, we're not looking at Father Christmas, we're not looking at the candy canes, they're great and they're sweet and the reason we have the candy canes for the kids today is because Jesus speaks a better word and his word is sweeter than candy canes. And so this gospel we're talking about this morning is sweeter than candy canes. This good news is sweeter than anything we can have because through Jesus, we have direct access to God. That he, that he is our intercession, that He is our mediator. I'm going to pray for us and that'll be it for today. Father God, I thank you for Isaiah's bars. The guy had bars for days, Lord. Uh, literally, the book is huge. Um, I thank you for his, his poetic, eloquent words. I thank you for the way that he rhymed them according to their Hebrew rhyme scheme, that he painted such a clear picture for all of us to see. I thank you that we were able to see that a light would come, that it would overcome the darkness that we found ourselves in. We thank you that you let us know that strangers would come from across different parts of the world, bringing these treasures and these goodness that would speak volumes of who you were going to be. I thank you, Lord, that actually what you gave us in Jesus is worth more than gold. I thank you that it's worth more than frankincense. I thank you that it's worth more than myrrh. I thank you that you spoke, letting us know that he was going to lay his life down for all mankind, that it wasn't for one people group, that it wasn't for one select group. It wasn't for one type of people, one type of clan, one type of culture, one type of person, but it was for all mankind, that he who knew no sin would become sin itself that he paid the price for us may we draw near to you this christmas time and may we be transformed by the power of your spirit that as we enter into another new year may we continue to take steps closer to you and closer to being the types of people that bring about the reformation the change that only your kingdom can bring lord in jesus name amen, amen.